0: this episode you meet one of my all-time favorite uh, classmates buddies from my squadron who reminds me every time i talk to him of robin williams and andy kaufman and all the great hysterical comedians that uh that I, we all grew up with uh, or at least we grew up with after we graduated um they they are very funny people but no not as creative or as original as my buddy steve he, uh, he will tell you stories about the Coke Can Cannon, about marching tours with Kai Webb. Let's see, what else is he, he goes into a great skiing story, which I still laugh about when I, when, when I try to tell people about it. And um, his active duty uh, experience in, uh, in the Air Force, in his amazing uh, stories in Turkey during a desert storm. Steve is a funny guy, great guy, and I think you're going to love this. There he is. Oh. hello. <laughs> hello, General. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Steve. Colonel, or should I say, retired Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel of the United States Air Force, Steve Hall. Yes. <laughs> 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 okay, so how,
1: how would you so like me to, to just go? Uh, no,
0: no, hang on. I, kinds I, of- you're just going to. I always ask is uh what message you have for the incoming class the current cadets the recent grads and the old folks like us about your experiences at the air force academy
1: the uh well let's take that in order the for the incoming cadets always mentally turn down the volume (laughs) of anybody yelling at you the purpose of of people yelling at you multiple people yelling at you during basic training is try to get you to choke (laughs) try (laughs) to get you to be overwhelmed to try to control your mental state don't let them learn to laugh at what is happening to you when you are being when you otherwise would be seem overwhelmed with people around you when you're cold tired wet uh sweaty hot injured whatever it is don't let all those irritants sway your calm thought and your (laughs) mental discipline (laughs) that's easy to say now (laughs) just and you'll find the ability to mentally turn down the volume of people yelling at you to be invaluable when you have to prioritize a certain action under pressure, like when you lose an engine yep. or when your plane catches on fire or when you have to bail out of an aircraft. Um, I have never done those things, but uh, in, in combat, I use those things because I, I never had to use a piddle pack as a backseater in a wild weasel F four phantom when my front seater Went through three or four piddle packs, being
0: so nervous he couldn't control his bladder. Okay, for I'm those gonna... for those of you guys, if you if you don't laugh out loud, is my my recommendation because I laughed out loud at Jack's Valley and built a squat thrust pit with all the squat thrusts I had. <laughs> exactly. So um, you'll get a
1: chance to to become physically exhausted, and to be let yourself be overwhelmed with external pressure. So there's two things you need to control, the external pressure and the internal pressure where you beat yourself up for not performing as well as you thought you should. So you want to give yourself your best, your best efforts, always be mentally prepared and physically prepared. Yeah. But, but don't let yourself become overwhelmed.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, In the academy, Well, once once you make it through basic training, the most important thing is to figure out how to organize your time and and just what time you do have to study, make it count. Just the the most successful guys, I wasn't the most successful because I was in the bottom of my class, but uh, I, I learned with time to just when you sit down, really ensure that you focus and don't let your mind wander when you're going through those physics or poli-sci or whatever, however many the the seven classes you have to take every semester. And just make notes after you read something to make sure you got it. So you, you don't have to, as General George Patton said, you don't want to claim the same ter- territory twice. <laughs> uh, same thing mentally. You don't want to have to reclaim the same learning twice because you thought you claimed it, but you didn't because you didn't didn't really go into your noggin didn't really go into your mind so uh the uh, another thing is the the ability to not let your emotional your romantic life overpower (laughs) your ability to focus in your intellectual life because when you're young and horny uh or whatever you you tend to let Emotional things overwhelm your ability to learn because you think that that someone's opinion, romantic opinion of you, is the most important thing versus your ability to make success for the four years you got as a cadet. Uh, focus on the intellect and uh, just keep a, an aloof attitude towards, uh, towards your romantic intentions. One, one of the things that helps to do that <laughs> is that what... When you're a freshman and you get the Dear John letter or Dear Jane letter, we, we would post that outside the doors of our, of our, <laughs> our vet rooms yeah. for comments. And it gives your classmates and your upperclassmen who've been through all of the things you're going through the ability to come in and keep your, your perspective on your romance with the woman or guy back home in perspective
0: of what, what's really happening in your life. Yeah, And but don't don't save that or don't publish that later because those comments hit pretty deep. <laughs> well, they're, they're funny. Yeah, they're hysterical. They're hysterical. <laughs> um, they're, <laughs> I can tell this story. There was a,
1: a guy who just was in love with his girl back home and and he just wasn't getting the message that she was not going to be there for him
0: says, oh, I still love you, Jane.
1: I still love you, Jane. Please, please, please don't leave me. And so, but she said, John, I'm not going to be there. Period. <laughs> over and over again. So finally, she sent a picture, a Polaroid picture back then. It was an instantly developable picture of her in bed with another guy to him so that he got the message.
0: Yeah.
1: And he sent that picture to her parents. <laughs> so, so, so he got the last laugh. That's great yeah. <laughs> but as you uh, as you go through what what you're really learning to by having to take all those classes is, is manage your time uh, and, and that that is the most valuable skill you'll ever you'll ever use because when you get into uh no matter what training you're in especially when you're a commander, your time is not your own because you not only have the mission you have to execute but you have all the your family life as well that are tugging on you to make uh to be successful and if you don't if you don't have family support in, in your in your military career then uh, you can you really lose your, your ability to take on the load and, and a lot of people will be be expecting you to fulfill your commitments and that's another thing don't if you if you make a commitment if you accept a commitment make that commitment but know early on, if your plate is getting really full, to decline a commitment or tell your boss, say, look, I'd like to be able to do that, but I can't. So it's one of the most difficult things to learn early is to say no. Unless your commander says, I'm sorry, there's nobody else. Uh, you've got to take this job. It says, well, uh, I can do it under these conditions. But be honest with your boss. Don't be intimidated at your boss because your boss will always, is human too. And he can he or she can assign that commitment to somebody else, but you have to stand up early instead of just taking on a commitment tacitly or actively and not, not fulfilling it. Then you get everybody disappointed at you and you get a bad OPR. I don't know what they're called now. Officer performance report, but, uh, but, uh, so always, always keep your commitments. Okay. Then there's, you can be, just as successful with a high emotional IQ
0: as you can with a high intellectual
1: IQ, we've all run into people who are very, very, very bright, who can multitask intellectually, but they're they're vacuous when it comes to understanding other people's needs. Uh, your wife or spouse uh, could be a, or husband could be a good, good value of that, of, of balancing that, but. Always be honest on uh, on what you don't understand about someone's emotional needs, and give you an example. You may not your your promotion, whatever is your ideal career path, because you know, you'll have you'll have a lot of speakers, a lot of successful people, from astronauts to general officers to congressmen and senators, come and speak to your class or academy assemblies, uh, business leaders. Um, And rarely did any of those businesses or career paths start out the way they envisioned when they were 22 years old. In my particular case, uh, I was pretty good. I was pretty good at at foreign accents. (laughs) Oh, yes. I was pretty good at foreign accents. I was pretty good at foreign languages. Uh, I wasn't that great in physics. I was okay. I wasn't that great in mechanical engineering. But I, I could get people to laugh. Yep. And I could I, I could get people to uh, – I could have a, a natural assimilation with foreigners. A lot of them – because we have you – know, you can go 1,500 miles in any direction in the United States of America and still find Walmarts, Kmarts, and and uh, typical fast food places. Whereas in, in Europe, you can go three – Three hours in any direction, and end up speaking three or four different foreign languages. Yeah. So, and it was my ability, even though I speak German much better, my it was my ability in Spanish that got me promoted. And here's what happened. Um, uh, the wing commander, when I deployed to Spain, I was I was part of the 23rd Tactical Fighter Squadron back then. Now it's just called fighter squadrons. The the 23rd, any any squadron in, stationed in Germany in general would go deploy to Spain because the weather's better. And the wing commander wanted me to set up a meeting between him, the wing commander from down and the Spanish wing commander at Zaragoza Air, Space, Air, Air Base where we were deployed. And so I was responsible for the buses that would bring our all, all of our squadrons down to meet their squadrons at a local restaurant in downtown Zaragoza, uh, for knowing the commander's names, where they would sit, what was on the menu, what the cost of the menu was, all these details. Tons and tons and tons of details. I and mean, when you're dealing with a foreign country and a foreign language, there's tons of things that you may not understand, but you have to find out. Okay, long story short, the dinner was a success. The buses arrived on time. Everybody enjoyed the meal. The commanders got along famously with each other in Zaragoza, Spain. And uh, the wing commander remembered that. I was, I was a, a backseater trying to vie for a promotion as a major. Uh, but as a backseater of fighter squadron, we were, they called us the Jacks. We were all assistant operations officers. They call us the Jacks because it's like the pep boys, Manny, Moe, and Jack. There's tons of them. They're all permitted trying to get, become operations officers to get promoted. But I I knew it was gonna be a hard, hard thing for me to get an operations job to get promoted to Lieutenant Colonel. So what happened in my case was the wing commander remembered that I'd pulled off a successful dinner operation in Zaragoza, Spain, and then Saddam invaded Kuwait. <laughs> goodness. And then they they realized that the commander of, of the logistics support squadron was a total buffoon, could not think himself out of a paper bag. So the wing commander fired him mm. and told my my squadron commander, said, hey, I've got a new job for... Uh, Major Hall, have him report, drive around to my office. And so I went up and said, sir, Major Hall reporting is ordered. He says, well, Monty, that was my nickname, Monty Hall Dealmaker. Monty, uh, you're not going to be flying at the mission ready rate. You're going to be flying at the mission support rate. So instead of flying four times a week, I was going to fly once or twice a week. Mm. And now you are going to take over as the commander for the logistics support squadron uh I said sir I don't know squat about logistics. Well, crack a book, Bonnie, because <laughs> it's your show. Make it happen. You are going to deploy the the wing to Desert Storm.
0: Wow. So
1: so and that's how I got promoted as from I was an ops guy, but I had to learn logistics in a hurry. And every and then then he said, "Look, money, uh you better get those pallets of munitions and spare parts in place because as soon as that last pallet of AIM-9 sidewinders are on the ramp in Doha, Saudi Arabia, you are deploying to Turkey to fly combat missions. Mm. So, uh, so you better keep up on your operations tasks because as soon as you, you get the, the pallets in place, you're going to be over Baghdad. Wow. So I, So I was a busy guy. I was a busy guy, but the, the, those combination of being able to successfully deploy the logistics, which really wins the wars over the uh, – we, we had overwhelming firepower in Desert Storm. Sure. Sure. But it's the, the logistics operations and, and the ability to get 50 NCOs. I was an all-white guy. went to an all-white high school, a virtually all-white Air Force Academy, and an all-white fighter squadron. That I had 25 black NCOs working for me that I had to g- become emotionally sensitive to their needs yeah. to get them to execute and know that I had their back. And there's a couple stories that side issues of that, how I earned their, their, their trust and support. But that's where I come back to the emotional IQ. We're all fighting together as a team you don't get to choose who you work with in the Air Force. A lot of times you'll be working with people who they can't, there's no replacement for, so you got to deal with some of the lowest performers you can possibly imagine.
0: Or people you just don't work with, yeah.
1: I've got a really funny story about that. Go ahead. Okay. uh, During the logistics portion, we are loading out C-5s. With 255,000 pounds of munitions and aircraft spare parts on the runway of Spangdalam Air Base, because we could not park a C-5 off runway because it would crush, crack huh. the concrete on the taxiways. <laughs> okay. That C-5 was had flown three missions back and forth to Saudi Arabia, but they could not drain the toilets. <laughs> And the new crew coming on to fly that C-5 downrange from Spangdahlem, Germany, to Doha, said, I refuse. It is Red-X'd. I will not fly a plane I can smell a thousand yards away. <laughs> Hall, service those toilets. I said, but this is not Ramstein or, or, or Rhein-Main. We don't have toilet trucks. Okay, so plan A. Uh, just open up those valves and under the gear well, and have the fire department hose that nasty blue water into the grass on the runway. Well, the German environmental people heard wind of that. I said, "No way, Jose." Uh. So uh, I had to get uh, a flatbed truck, four trash cans with liners, two hip a pair of hip waders, some long gloves, goggles, and a hero. Uh. And that hero, I won't give him his full name, but Sergeant D was one of the the least competent people that anyone in the transportation squadron had to ever deal with. He was late, he was intellectually inhibited, he was ugly, and he was socially <laughs> wore birth control glasses and was unable to do most tasks. Okay. And Sergeant D, you are. You are on that. We need to drain those, those valves. We need to get that water out of the C-5. So it's your job, because if we don't, that plane is stuck on the runway. No aircraft can take off uh, on the runway or land because the C-5 is stuck in the runway. Our operations are dead uh. for this fighter wing until that C-5 gets off the runway. Can you drain the blue tanks of filthy water and put him up on that flatbed and take it down to the sewage treatment plant. But Because I had always treated this man with respect, even though he was the butt of many jokes in the squadron. I, I, I didn't laugh when people, I said, look, he's part of the team. This over a couple of months after I took over. Uh, he's part of the team. We, we treat everyone with respect because you never know when it's someone's chance to shine. And, and though he didn't have to do that because it was not in his AFSC toilet Water management. <laughs> yeah. He bravely put on those goggles, gloves, hip waders, and filled one, two, three, four bottles, four, four trash cans and liners full of the stinkiest, foul smelling
0: mm-hmm. stuff
1: you've ever and and wrestled it onto the flatbed and took it down to the German sewage treatment plant. Uh-huh. So so we got the C five off. And then it was my job to write him a commendation medal. <laughs> Draft after draft of that accommodation middle. The laughter coming from the commander's <laughs> office. Yeah. Of this guy, because I knew who he was, I knew what his performance record, and how I I, I needed to inform that this was a mission critical task. That if we didn't get the toilet service, that C five was not going anywhere with a two hundred fifty five thousand pounds of war material that needed to get downrange in the next five hours. So, but it worked because you always, no matter what the scuttlebutt is, you always treat each of your, your subordinates with respect. Yeah. And uh, in this case, the fact that I I was one of the few people who didn't pass on further jokes about Sergeant D, um, it it worked that he, he, he said, yes, Major Hall at the time before I was promoted, um, I'll do it. And and uh, he got one of the few commendation medals in support of wartime operations for people who did not deploy down for Desert Storm. That's good. Stayed in Germany. So that's that's one of the things that that helped me. And uh, then I, I was able to then go on downrange to de- to Desert Storm and fly combat missions uh, with overwhelming firepower, and that that which made the war very very short. Combat operation started January sixteenth and ended March the thirtieth. Yeah, uh, so Wait. it was a short war. We were victorious, anyway. and uh, and then we were one of the first units to come back from Turkey, which was a NATO in NATO. So we were on full per diem. Everyone else was living in tents, on uh, eating out of the chow hall. We were on full per diem, uh, eating in McDonald's, Burger King, and having jamokov. Op- with milk, Almond Fudge Ice Cream at the Baskin Robbins after our combat missions.
0: I almost got to join you there. <laughs> so,
1: so, so that was just a, a, an anecdote of how important it is. It's, it's one thing to be intellectually competent of what you're learning to, as cadets. It's another thing to also understand what is going on on people's emotional makeup. Because you will have to form alliances and friendships in your career which can make the difference of, of mission success or not. And that's just C-5 was one illustration of that.
0: Uh, All right, hang uh, on, hang on. Let's let, I'll get, I'll get us back on schedule here a little bit. So Steve, Steve is taking, we're going to start at the end of the book and go to the beginning. Um, what got you to the Air Force Academy in the first place? Why did you
1: uh, I'd always wanted to fly. I wanted to be uh, fly fighters, fly upside down. I'd gone to Edwards Air Force Base. which was in Southern California where I grew up. And uh, so I, I always wanted to have a, an opportunity to fly Air Force aircraft. Okay. And so that, that's what motivated me to go in the first place.
0: And then how, how was that? Pro- would that pretty simple, just uh, apply to your congressman or whatever? Yeah,
1: I, I just went through my congressman. I took the, uh, civil, uh, the civil service examination. Uh, I was able to be the top scorer in my congressional district of all the cadets, all the cadet candidates who were applying. And so I was I applied in January. I was accepted in February. OK. So I, I got an, an early nomination to the Air Force Academy through my congressman.
0: OK. And then that and you grew up in Southern Cal is what you're saying. Yes.
1: liberals, I, I had a, a conservative town in, in whack-ass liberal Southern California.
0: Yes. <laughs> and then, um, you show up at the zoo. What was that like? Well, how did that, how did that match your expectations? I, I
1: kind of knew it was coming, but I, I thought I was going to get a lot more sleep than I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, but but what, what gets you through is your sense of humor, and and uh, we had you'll know, you'll run into a lot of bright guys or a lot of bright cadets at the academy who have a great sense of humor, and that's what I can It's your sense of humor that gets you through things. And we had a very close knit squadron that I was in, thirty six Pink Panthers, where uh, only one guy of the everyone when we we went went there as third degrees from third degrees through through first a year. I think only one guy quit. Or was it was, or let go. Uh we had several guys that wanted to stay in our squadron, but due to balancing of other other squadrons where they had high higher attrition rates, they pulled three three or guys out of our squadron and sent them to their other cadet squadrons.
0: Yeah we actually had a guy that got booted a month in. I uh, can't
1: remember who that was.
0: That name Rich Polemic. Uh, waiting- I, I- yeah, I don't. It's a third degree. I can't yeah, remember his story, that. his story is on the Steve Fry deal because they were dualies together, and and Steve uh, Steve knows exactly what happened and explains it on his uh on his show. Um, and then we had Pat Murray, who uh, yeah, got booted with a with a semester to go from the academy, and then we had four guys who got pulled out of our squad to balance the uh the cadet wing. Yeah, it was sad because
1: we 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 were fortunate as the thirty six Pink Panthers to be about the – we had the highest graduation rate of any class, class of 76, the Bicentennial Boys, and we had the lowest – in other words, the, the lowest attrition. Yeah. And of all the cadet squadrons, our squadron had the lowest attrition of any of the cadet squadrons.
0: And, I and, I, and you know, you're talking about sense of humor. The one thing I don't think the academy does a good job of is screaming for com- comedians because we had <laughs> – we had a million comedians in our squadron we had uh, you were you were one of the highlights man I, I, you had the uh, I, please please share with the group your nursery rhyme deal
1: <laughs> well uh okay you will you will go if when you after you are i'm talking to the cadets now yeah <laughs> after after your freshman year after dual year you'll go to survival evasion resistance and escape
0: actually they don't do that anymore <laughs> well you should go if you don't go <laughs> they don't get to do that anymore no more water boards no more foot box no more <laughs> gosh
1: well if you really want to find out what's your what's your psychological profile under lack of sleep <laughs> and under interrogation uh, go to some kind of a survival course cuz if you if you are a combat if you go into combat aircraft you will go to a survival course. Yeah. And the tools uh, to survive that, uh, one is music, because as I was kept up for 72 hours, I would review Beethoven's, all of Beethoven's symphonies, box concertos, uh, a number of musical things that I memorized having been in the band and orchestra in high school, and I came from a musical family, so knowledge of music kept my mind active when you're under mental duress. Uh, the other thing that kept me – see, I, I was selected to, to be a political indoctrinator. <laughs> in other words, go in full, full force to try to simulate the kind of interrogation that American aviators would be under if they were shot down under communist countries. So I went to the Russian Department of the Air Force Academy and learned a bunch of Russian words. And I, I learned to speak with a Russian accent. So you, you will put on the and the mannerisms. How you smoke a cigarette is different in Russia from how it is in America. You must hide the burning embers of your cigarette because not everybody can afford to smoke cigarettes in Russia. Anyway. <laughs> and and we, we made Polish jokes. Mm-hmm. were very popular then, so I would tell Polish jokes in a Polish accent. But we can't. I mean, those those kinds of jokes are not presentable anymore. But uh, I I, learned, I could speak. I could convince many people that I was from a different country—France, Spain, Germany, or Russia—because I, I would learn how to. I would very carefully listen to people with foreign accents and try to mimic them. You know, the, the, look at every way you can screw up English. I could figure out how to do that in four different four different languages.
0: So for those listening in, the uh, this was well before the world famous comedian Robin Williams was a, was. A we had our own version known as Steve Hall. And he would do nursery uh, <laughs> rhymes and, and all kinds of funny languages with different words. I I never forget the three blind mice thing. Oh my god, that was I've memorized that. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, well, there's like
1: three robots with defective eyesight. <laughs> Three rodents with defective eyesight. Perceive how they perambulate. Perceive how they perambulate. They all screed after the agriculturalist spouse who severed their appendages with a carving utensil. Have you ever perceived such a catastrophe in all your existence? As three rodents with defective eyesight. (laughs) There you have it.
0: Steve does it perfectly because he uses the, the, the Russian babushka mother. You know, just yes. <laughs> it's so classic. Oh, my God. And then, then you were also very inventive with uh, something that I, I still have impressed that you came up with this. I guess they, they've used it in, in, over the years, the, the world-famous Coke Can Cannon. Yes. Okay. Uh, when you take chemistry,
1: you'll – you will come up with a term called stoichiometric burning. And a stoichiometric burn takes an exact balance of all the molecules of fuel, in this case, a hydrocarbon, a lighter fluid, with all the molecules of oxygen, and it burns it all perfectly. So when you have a stoichiometric burn, you have the most, the highest coefficient of gas expansion. And when we take, back then, there were four steel cans. Coke came in steel pull-top cans. Yeah. And we would open up both cans, both ends of three of the cans, and the final can had its base still intact. And then, son of a gun, the di- diameter of a Coke can was almost a, a perfect seal for the for the radius of a tennis ball. <laughs> <laughs> and so we would duct tape these four cans together, put a small hole at the base of the can that still had the end intact, put two squirts of Ronzenol lighter fluid, warm it with our hands, put the tennis ball in, and put a, a regular Zippo lighter at the ignition hole. And if it was a stoichiometric burn, we could get a tennis ball with a flat trajectory going through the entire length of Vandenberg
0: Hall. <laughs> It would sound like a kaboom.
1: Yes. I mean, and there were modifications to this. We would take the same tennis ball cannon, and instead of using a tennis ball, we would stuff a plastic baggie in it. Yeah. And then we would fill that plastic baggie full of shaving cream to isolate the moisture of the shaving cream from the soon to be exploding gas mixture of lighter fluid and oxygen. He would knock on a cadet's door, and they'd open it, and he would be instantly coated with shaving cream.
0: This <laughs> kaboom! We we uh, we had a lot of time to burn because we were waiting for the buffers to come our way on Friday nights before the Sammys. <laughs> okay, did, are you cadets familiar with the buffer treatment? They don't have it's all carpeted now. Really? <laughs> yeah, they don't get to do the buffers anymore. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. You can tell them what I mean. There's old folks listening to this too. You can tell everybody what we did with the buffers. Well, the buffer treatment you see, every every buffer comes with a scouring pad. If
1: you had to take the wax down to the, t- the asphalt tiles themselves, there's a scouring pad. And you know, of course, you'll always come across cadets who are so well organized that on the night before the Saturday a.m. inspection, which we called a SAMI they would be off watching movies because their room was in tip-top shape <laughs> with all their underwear folded in 4 by 4 4 by 8 or black socks with smiles all smiling at them in their top of their underwear drawer. And their buff was they're perfectly dusted, everything done. And when they were done at 7 o'clock, so they went off to watch a movie. Well, some of these people were anal retentive geeks who would just get on your nerves to the point that we feel we would collectively feel these people need some stress factors in their cadet life. So we would take, we get the the cadet in charge of quarters key, and open up their finely polished room, and then when we would we would take and duct tape the switch for the buffer in the open position, and we would put the scouring pad on that buffer, on onto the base of the rotating buffer, and leave the. The extension cord out underneath the door and plug it in to another cadet's room, so that they could not turn it off
0: <laughs> without going outside and going to the other. Going
1: outside and banging on the door, of I say so we had the, and and the person the other cadet's room right next to her wasn't was not in on the action. Yeah, it was probably a first firstie or a second degree or somebody. Yeah, you know, who was not there, but we wanted to teach these 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 geeks a lesson that. They didn't talk down to their fellow classmates. And so we wanted to make sure that they had to stay up all night bringing their newly ground floor back up to SAMI inspection standards. Otherwise, the buffer treatment. So, I mean, what goes around comes around.
0: Many times. And
1: and so (laughs) always treat your classmates, even though they might be lacking in certain degrees, with humor and respect.
0: Well, speaking of humor and respect, in the Pink Panthers, there were some special antics we used to do, and one of the most famous one had to do with an SC's model rocket. Yes. <laughs> What's your what was your what was your angle on that? The SC's...
1: we were we were always firing off something. <laughs> But I, I, you know, I can't remember the Estes model rocket incident.
0: Okay, I'm I'm thinking of Kai and Ron in the stairwell launching the rocket across the, uh, out the stairwell and and catching on fire on the South Hill and them getting in trouble for it.
1: Oh, okay, well, that's, okay, that's small potatoes. (laughs) That is small, small potatoes. Well,
0: not for them, but yes, for you, for your (laughs) (laughs) antics.
1: Okay, the, the most significant fire event where you had an out-of-control fire at the Air Force Academy in the cadet grounds was there was a, if you go back in history you'll hear the Chicago Seven, they were Abby Hoffman and the Chicago Seven that were brought up on rioting charges at the Democratic National Convention in 1968. Okay, well the USAFA Seven was a group was a group of cadets who had a dorm war. A dorm war uh, with flaming tennis balls. <laughs> and when, when Taps blew, they, uh, one side had not gotten even with the other side before Taps blew. So in the middle of the night, these guys got up and soaked a tennis ball in Ronsonol and put and just bounce that tennis ball underneath the sli- the bed of a, 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 the two sleeping cadets. <laughs> okay, and they they thought they'd put the fire in the mattress out, <laughs> and so they very very carefully take this what they thought was a mattress that had ceased burning but was still smoldering, <laughs> and they put the mattress in the dumpster. and they got a new mattress out of the supply cabinet made the bed up for the sammy good to go until (laughs) 3.30 in the morning when the security police sees this roaring file in the dumpster and and calls not the academy fire department but Um... the Colorado Springs fire department who comes up to the academy 30 miles 25 miles away and comes up on academy grounds and puts out the dumpster fire whereupon they call up the supervisor of cadet, the superintendent of cadets to ask it, why does the Colorado springs fire department have to come up to the air force academy to put out academy fires so an inquiry of cadets three of whom lied about the incident
0: oh
1: lied about it and then to Two were put on conduct probation, uh, two, three were kicked out for lying. Wow! And and uh, the the rest of them got uh, six months restriction and and about uh, sixty tours. That was the the, 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 uh, the USAFA seven for lying about a burning mattress prior to a Sami inspection.
0: So that was that your squadron? What was that?
1: Yeah, that that was the. The year before I got – that was a prior year before my freshman squadron at the Blackjack 21st squadron.
0: Okay, because I I don't remember that story at all from Pink Panthers. No, it wasn't a Pink
1: Panther story. It was a Blackjack Twenty One story that happened to the poor people of seven cadets. Wow. Who who were – so follow the honor code. If you do something really, really stupid, don't lie about it.
0: Yeah, really. (laughs) No, do not you'll get a punishment, but it won't be expulsion. That's,
1: that's... Right, it won't be expulsion, and living your out your Air Force commitment as an as an NCO. Oh, as an yeah,
0: that would be tough, too. Yeah, it would be tough. So, <laughs> speaking of unique things to the Pink Panthers while we were cadets, do you remember the time we all got food poisoning?
1: Well, um, yes, and I can tell that in graphic detail. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Um, you, in your in your cadet career as well as you in your officer career, you will come across incompetent officers.
0: <laughs> hey, and and before we preface this, I want you to all understand this is what got us through COVID because the whole world got poisoned. <laughs> we learned our lesson from this yes. story.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you were, um, and, and there are hidden there are hidden benefits. For being on academic probation.
0: <laughs> yes, I was on I was. Pro. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, act pro. So, act pro. Here are hidden benefits. Anyway, long story short, not only do we have an incompetent uh, air officer commanding, but his wife was equally incompetent in her household duties. And one thing that Rose Alvarez did not do was wash her dishes very well. And, and so the, the entire thirty six Pink Panther cadet squadron was a, asked over to a Christmas party at our AOC's house, at which they were all offered chocolate chip cookies cooked by Rose Alvarez, the wife of our AOC, who didn't wash her, dish, her, her eating utensils very much. Long story short, the entire thirty six Pink Panther cadet squadron got food poisoning. And was out of all academics or athletics for four days at least, while we were had the twirly worries, didn't know which end it was gonna come out of. <laughs> we were we were timing from the time you heard this your dorm door bolt open, running down the latrine, and figuring out which end was gonna come out first. And and it got to be such a laughing stock. Our AOC and his wife got to be such a laughing stock that that. When we're absent from from class on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and Thursday, they just looked out for the cadet squadron associated with the absent physics students. Ah, 36 Pink Panthers, well, that explains it. And so our AOC and his wife became the laughingstock of the entire academy for food poisoning the entire cadet squadron. But Monty Hall did not get food poisoning
0: nor did John- I was,
1: I was on academic probation and I was forbidden from leaving the academy I was had had to have my neck in the books yeah but everybody else in the squadron who went to the alvarez got food poisoning
0: yeah i i did, i also was on act pro and i didn't get to go and i the 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 negative part about not getting sick was you still had to go to class and you had to clean up all the mess in, the, in your yeah it was it was bad pretty bad it was uh <laughs> Shovel duty for a while there. Yeah, it was was bad. But,
1: but, you know, you you develop really good close friends. And misery loves company, is all I can say, with going through uh, uh, an entire cadet squadron, collectively food poisoned by our our chain of command, our air officer's commander and his wife.
0: Now, Steve, you also suffered one of the, and and I'm sorry to say I laughed my ass off, but you suffered one of the more entertaining and hysterical uh, tales uh, on a ski injury you got once on Arapahoe Basin. Did you want to share that with us? <laughs> well, yes, well see
1: uh, one of the things you'll develop in, in your life is physical courage and what, what happens when your physical courage exceeds your athletic skill you'll come up with what is called a gap that your, your body, all kinds of parts of your body will suffer injury because of that. <laughs> so I was sick and tired of not being able to make the mogul run at, at I think it was Arapahoe Basin. Yeah. Which is the highest ski area in, in, in the United States, I think. Uh, also in Colorado. It's a funny thing. <laughs> but, uh, um, and so, I never let my lack of ability hinder my speed. So I pointed my, my skis straight down the hill, hell be damned, and I wasn't, wasn't gonna turn on, And I, I barely took, I took out another middle-aged woman <laughs> skier and, and almost her son. And then I'm laying in a, in a bleeding mass of writhing pain mm-hmm. at the bottom of the hill.
0: We're all, well, not the total bottom, just the bottom of the run. Not the
1: bottom, yeah, to, uh, halfway down the hill.
0: We're all, we're, we're all feeling bad, but laughing our ass off, too, because it was really funny.
1: <laughs> and, and then the lady that I almost killed comes to totally take one of my good friends, Steve Jorgensen, to task, a fellow cadet in the squadron, and said, In all my 18 years of skiing in Colorado, I have never. Experienced a more disrespectful, more <laughs> incomprehensible group of boys than you. <laughs> and Jorgie and saying, he, "He's my friend, but I can't control him." For God's sake, yeah. he is your friend, and you can tell him that he cannot go around killing fellow skiers. For God's sake, yeah. don't ever, ever let him do that again. <laughs> so, so the phrase in all my eighteen years of skiing in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, that was that was cadet lore in the 36th cadet squadron.
0: Well, we, everybody i, I lived the to ma- everybody down the
1: mountain heard it, so yeah, <laughs> she was yelling, yeah. Jor- and I think St- uh, Slim Connors was with Jorgensen.
0: Well, we're all there, I think there was a whole bunch of us, yeah. I remember hearing it and seeing it, yeah, because
1: yeah. the, 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 the witnesses saw me take out her son and barely miss her, and then. <laughs>
0: But luckily for you, you were in such miserable pain the ski patrol came and saved you, right?
1: Yes, they came and took me down the slope, uh, and I didn't, I didn't ski much after that. Hang on, but, hang
0: on. tell us how they got you down the slope. Because this to me. This was the thing I, I can, I barely speak it. I laugh so hard at the hearing.
1: Well, they they got, they got their stretcher,
0: the like a tube, a toboggan tube tunnel. Yeah, Yeah,
1: toboggan dude, and two guys. They they you know one guy's the lead, the other one follows, and Oh uh, no there's a guy who who's leading the toboggan who gets other skiers out of the way in case someone else would be so stupid or so <laughs> inconsiderate yeah. of their fellow skiers to not let the ski patrol take an injured skier off the slope yeah. so so me me the injured skier so so they're taking taking me down in a toboggan and taking me to the, the medical tent and seeing if i you know broken anything but, unfortunately, I, I just sprang the knee. And it, it turned out to be not a big deal. But uh, I, I wasn't doing a whole lot of athletics back at the academy for a week or two. But but I made it through that experience. And then, I mean, just everybody in the squad is saying, in all my 18 years <laughs> of skiing in Colorado, I right. have never, ever,
0: <laughs> so, come
1: across so, a more inconsiderate group of boys than you.
0: So, so folks listening in the uh... – the deal is we finish our skiing that day. We get down to the lodge. We get on the bus to go back to the academy. And Steve's relating to us because we're laughing about the lady. And then he tells me the story about the way they get him down the hill in this this toboggan tube thing for, for the injured skier. They put him head down. So he's head down. He's looking up at the, the, the uh, ski patrol guy's fanny. And there's these two grommets because it's two poles holding on on a bar holding the grom um, the toboggan together, and one of the two grommets that that's holding it up that has a cotter pin missing, and so <laughs> Steve is going down the hill and this guy's skiing pretty fast because they want to get him down quick and he's also a pretty good skier, and all Steve can see is one of the two bar things is not really attached. So he's barely, he's basically hung, hanging on by one little, one little cotter pit on this one bar. And he looks like a torpedo, a torpedo heading for the lodge. <laughs> the other thing in God. <laughs> Man, Steve, I'll fly through the air at a hundred miles. Yeah. Into the lodge. Oh, I, well,
1: can't,
0: I can't say it today, I
1: laugh. You know, faith, faith in God is an important factor you will also learn. <laughs> Because it'll come it'll, sooner or later. It'll it'll enter your life where you have to have a faith in God in some unpredictable circumstance to see you through, and that day was one of them. Yes. Uh,
0: <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry to go, sorry to lose it there. <laughs> it just scratched me up that old that story. Just, uh, that's one of my favorites. Um. So, did you ever think of quitting? A million times. Okay. Oh,
1: a million times. You know, but. Uh, and, and a lot of guys, and I think you say you take so many classes up till your sophomore year, you can enter most public universities as a senior, even though you committed just a sophomore year at the academy. But yeah, I thought of – But it was the actually it was the guys that I was with that, that helped me through. The, I mean, the the thing, the closest of your of your class classmates, the funny stories, you know, not learning not to take yourself so seriously. So yeah, everybody there, you know, everyone's thought of thought of quitting. At some point or another, everybody. But um, but, and in fact, if you talk to uh, Raji uh, Grinder, he's in orbit right now in the International Space Station. He was a cadet, Raji Chari, C H A R I. Okay. He's I forgot what what year graduate. I think. Two uh, thousand. He he's a lieutenant colonel. I think he graduated in the nineties. But he's in orbit now, and he's going to be probably on the Artemis mission to the, uh, to the moon. Wow. Uh, and I, I, I had the privilege of working with him as a flight test director at Eglin Air Force Base before I retired I mean, as a civilian uh, flight test contractor. And he, he was a, an F-15 test pilot. Um, and a uh, great guy. He was a super guy, but he thought of quitting a million times. So, as successful, who could be more successful than than being not just an astronaut, but being selected for the Artemis mission to go to the moon? And if a guy like that, you know, thinks of quitting, you know, anybody can think, thinks of quitting. It's just, but you will realize that you'll be in a situation that uh, you can overcome any pressure. That most pressure is self-imposed, and that you learn not to take yourself so seriously. Keep a sense of humor. Don't take yourself so seriously, and just just persist, persist. Because yes, you can make it. Everybody can make it, and uh, just make as many friends as you can. Laugh as as hard as you can, as often as you can, and
0: and never lose your sense of humor. And that's definitely the the uh, approach the Pink Panther Squad took in our era. Um, t- please please share with us your uh, tour pad adventure with Kai. Well,
1: one of the things – there's two things that we would do um, on Friday nights preparing for inspections. One, we would uh, – back then we had athletic jackets, which came to a point like monks' hoodies. And and we would uh, learn enough Latin so that we would uh, (laughs) –
0: You think about the parkas? Not that. Not the parkas. The, parkers, the, yeah, the yeah, pointed parkas. <laughs> the pointy parker. Yep.
1: The point. Not the athletic trackers. The pointed parkas, which were similar to monks' costumes,
0: <laughs> and they were all black. Yeah. And,
1: and and we would, the, our scepter was, a mop upside down. You know, a mop in the air, uh, it would be the scepter as we would we would, perform, prayer in Latin. <laughs> and, and and do, like, do like, go down the halls. The other thing, and this is okay. We can't do this anymore. I fully understand why. Uh, but I I was able to develop a pretty good German accent. <laughs> and we would all, we would always go around and learn how to have Nazi discipline as stormtroopers uh, when we were a cadet squadron, and we would learn to goose step. On the tour pad, in a goose step similar to the way you see Nazi troops marching in front of the Führer and the way you see the Russians marching in front marching in front of Vladimir Putin.
0: <laughs> so, or, or Kim il
1: Or Kai, Kai Webb. <laughs> K Kai, Kai Web St- Stephen Kentucky Webb. Yeah. It was by Kai. K-Y. Stephen Kentucky Webb and I would be on the tour pad, marching off our tours for conduct problems, <laughs> and we would be in a goose step. <laughs> so so, so the, the cadet in charge of whoever the CIC was there said, look, you guys, this is discipline. If you pull that shit off anymore, you're going to get another, another 10, tour, 12 tours. You got it? <laughs> so... We said, well, we didn't want to have our Fridays and Saturdays consumed on the tour pad. Yeah. So we stopped. We stopped that behavior, but it gave some humor. You know, I was trying to out goose step Kai, and he was trying to out step me. And we, you know, the same kind of rifle manual that you see in in total totalitarian governments. We practiced that because we thought. Well, what's the academy? It's a totalitarian government.
0: <laughs> yeah, why? Absolutely. So,
1: so when in Rome, do like the Romans. So, <laughs> so but uh, you 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 have to take your punishments seriously, because it is, it is there to modify your behavior towards or the true order and discipline which every military organization requires.
0: So there you go. So, folks, you're getting a you're getting a flavor of how we survived the dark ages and all the life at the actual Academy and journey academics and all that. But Steve, I know you also had probably a third Lieutenant in there.
1: Uh, Yeah. Third Lieutenant. Well, my third Lieutenant was a, I was very fortunate to get a lot of flying time at, at Wright Patterson air force base. And I got a lot of time in, in the uh, job. They were doing uh, development of the, of the special ops, jolly green giant helicopter. Cool, and so that that was, and it was uh, Victor Genet was the was the test squadron commander of the Jolly Green Giant. He was the the uh, valedictorian of his class, I think, in 1963. And uh, I was fortunate to to uh, work under him as a cadet, just learning flying operations. So I, I, I got a, a couple flights in a Jolly Green Giant, another flight, and yeah, I think at a T. There was another T thirty seven or something up there that I got a flight in as well. But um, it, was, it was a great time, the three weeks at Wright-Patterson. And I uh, just being embedded in a flight test squadron and learning all the things that go into actually proving that both uh, the hardware that straps on an aircraft as well as the, the capability of the aircraft itself needs to be so that you have at least 95% confidence that the mechanism you're flying and the buttons you're pushing to, to shoot weapons at the enemy are going to come off and kill and do whatever they're supposed to do. So I was fortunate to have a third lieutenant that, that kind of helped motivate me on, on what flight test operations were all about. And I got the chance to do that after I, uh, during my uh, non-flying days, I was a flight test engineer at Eglin Air Force Base. And then I came back to be a flight test engineer, and flight test director as a contractor at Eglin Air Force Base again. So uh life was good for me I I lived my entire air force career really as a spoiled kid.
0: So that that was the Jacobs engineering after yes, yes, yeah. Engineering.
1: Okay. Cuz um and and the other thing that I would that I would offer up is that if if you assume authority people will think you have it. So I'll give you an ex- example uh, who was who was our classmate who was chief of staff of the Air Force
0: mark Welch
1: mark Welch. okay Mark Welch came to Eglin Air Force Base to give us a give a pep up to the entire uh, to the entire wing the entire the 96 yeah. test wing but so I'm I, as a contractor I'm just the lowly scum of the you know'm I'm, I'm, I'm at the squadron commander's whims to even be there yeah but i but I, I had a really really good squadron commander who let me do whatever I needed because he knew I had the Air Force's uh, mission at heart. And I and, a, and I mentored a, a five junior test engineers so they could learn the ropes of how to do effective flight test engineering. Anyway, so Mark, Air Force Chief of Staff Mark, Mark Welch is visiting. And of course, all these areas were cordoned off with security police. And there were several Lieutenant Colonel test pilots in my squadron and me in a suit and tie going up to get the front row seat, uh, front row seats to see here, four star general Mark Welch speak. And so we, we were stopped uh, by a whole, three security police. I said, I'm sorry, only if you have a, a, a pass, can you get through here? Then I said in full confident commander's tone, these men, these these officers, are with me, <laughs> and, and they didn't want to ask questions of someone who was assuming that he was an SES three or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so they let us let they let us in without any question, thinking that if they questioned who I was, they were going to get in deep trouble. <laughs> and who are you? <laughs> so, who the hell? So so it got to be a, a running joke in the test squadron. I will bet. <laughs> Hey, guess what Monty Hall did? He got us all front row seats. How'd he do it? He said, They're with me. Let him in.
0: <laughs> I know nobody.
1: <laughs> I, I know who the hell they were, but if, if you assume authority and you have confidence and you look people in the eye, who is who is a you know free striper with an M16 gonna say? You know, who are they to who are they to dispute my authority on the scene? So <laughs> so that's, that's some anecdotes, but it's part of the same thing, getting, getting to know your your coworkers, your classmates, knowing their sensitivities and, and keep that sense of humor, which will get you not just through the academy, not just through your career, but through life.
0: Now, I have one other cadet question from our days, and that was you were always telling me you had, you had come up with a theory or a plot. To scare all the parents, graduation week. We wanted to wait till graduation week so you wouldn't get in any academic trouble, and you were going to make it look like the uh, the Minuteman missile was launching, outside the field house. Did you ever pull that stunt off? No, we
1: we were trying to get a bunch of black powder. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and, and and
1: put it on a timer. Underneath the Minuteman <laughs> missile. Yeah. But but you know the the issue of the logistic. Although I should have mastered the logistic by then, but thinking, yeah, if the black powder would have burned or destroyed or defaced the miniman missile, that would have been wanton destruction of government property. Yeah,
0: couldn't. would have made
1: would have made great footage.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, Footage calling you off to jail forever. Great,
1: great footage, but and I didn't know if if suddenly the the three star commandant of of cadets, our superintendent superintendent of cadets of the air force cadet would have the power to do anything really, really bad to those who perpetrated the incident. So we backed off out of that.
0: Yeah. And then uh, when you graduated, where'd you go?
1: Um, Okay. I went to, I went to Reese for pilot training. Uh, Then I washed out. Uh, Uh I washed out after soloing the tweets. Uh, I I was on any good, any, any given day, I was as good as anybody, but I was not consistent enough. So the squadron commander said, "Hall, we like you, but uh, we we don't think we can put you in charge of an aircraft." So they sent me off to nav school, and then I did the same kind of humor with my nav class. Uh, I was not I was known as the the mad Pakistani. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In my in my navigator training class, and and we're we're learning celestial navigation. <laughs> and i would always come up with this high pitched pakistani voice <laughs> something along if you ever click up on youtube the comedian uh, oh god he was on saturday night live there uh, is the cannon but not the cannonballs
0: okay <laughs> well, we get we get the we get the picture <laughs> no, so i
1: i would say you know, it's very very high pitched middle eastern accent I'm trying and trying and trying and trying and nothing. Nothing happened in my head. I can't understand nothing. I tried this as lesser. I tried this Nothing happened. I tried and nothing. So, so, a- Andy Kaufman. Okay. <laughs> Click up Andy Kaufman and yeah. his routine. Uh, you'll see, get a, get a gist of that. But, but, uh, we we got the results. I believe it or not, I got one of the best results out of a celestial navigation test wow. and navigator training, and and a couple guys pinked it. Pinked the exam. Had to take it again, but the squ- but the cl- the instructor took off from that. And he took that. You pinked it. You pinked it. He says, "I'm trying and trying and trying and trying, nothing." So the entire class took up that mantra.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Of. Well, and we did have Middle Eastern uh, second lieutenants
0: well, we had, uh, we in had our navigator a, class. Oh, well, we had Iranians going through flight training in Pensacola. Yeah,
1: yeah, that was that was bad. And that was, back, were,
0: back when they were called Iranians. and Yeah,
1: back when they were called Iranians.
0: And the uh, instructor pilots in Pensacola used to call them migranians because they gave them headaches <laughs> all the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I have all kinds of stories of... Oh, yeah. Islamic based flight buffoonery.
0: Well, yeah, um, and it's, it's a different culture, different <laughs> different
1: concepts. I mean, well, that, that and they believe that Allah wills it. No preparation, no intellect. Allah <laughs> wills your performance in the aircraft. Yep. And uh, and funny, funny stories along that. But if if someone is is Islamic and going to the Air Force Academy, best wishes to you. But um, but it's it, it's a different culture.
0: If yeah, and if you're. If you're at the academy, you're going to learn how to think. It's it's going to
1: you're going to learn how to
0: think regardless of what is your religious conviction. Yep. So you end up as a so you go from celestial nav to wild weasel where you never even saw a star again, right? No, I never had to do
1: celestial navigation ever again, (laughs) except on a sailboat. Okay. Uh, so I I, that was the one skill I did have that a lot of people didn't is knowing how to have a sun moon Venus and go a three point solution on a sailboat, but um. I never had to use a sextant ever again, and I always got to fly upside down.
0: And so that, one of your pilots was uh, a, a classmate, right?
1: Yeah, well, my, Mike Warden. Yeah. Uh, who was uh, the academy uh, football uh, quarterback? Yep. Our senior year, Mike Warden. Uh, he and I flew in, in Desert Storm together, and we also flew. It was a second assignment in the 23rd. He was there the first time in the 23rd as well, and. Uh, but uh we got along really really well with him mike warden was a, a history major and so he uh got his phd in history and, and made i think uh, he was the assist, the deputy or the, the assistant commander of the
0: uh know, he, he's already recorded an episode so we know his story yeah. as well yeah. right
1: i'll say air, tactical air command but it's air combat command it's
0: called now yeah acc and you, so you went from there to Germany? Is that pretty much your career? Or your Air yeah,
1: my, my Air Force career went from the uh, academy, pilot training, then navigator training, then uh, through lead-in training at, at Holloman Air Force Base, then F-4 backseat training in F-4Ds, and to Spangdalem uh, for three-year tour, upgraded F-4Es, then went back to Eglin in flight testing, then went... Uh, where I got a master's degree in University of West Florida and then uh, went back to Spangdalem. Well, I went through EWO training. Okay. an electronic warfare officer, then uh, flying, go to Wild Weasels at George Air Force Base and Wild Weasel Combat Operations at Spangdalum, also as the logistics squadron commander at Spangdalum. Yeah. yeah. So I was had two two roles at Spangdalum, then went back from Spangdalum. Final tour at Eglin Air Force Base, where I was in charge of a number of different test programs uh, followed by a contractor working for Jacobs engineering for 20 years.
0: And then I'm curious, why did you leave as a Lieutenant Colonel? Did you, was it a better? Well, my wife at the time said,
1: well, the, the, the uh, England air force, Eglin air force space, uh, group commander offered me a, a job up at, uh, the Pentagon to get promoted. Okay. He, he, he was realistic. He said, Monty, um, I, all of the guys who are competing for Colonel are, are test pilot graduates, test pilot school graduates. And uh, I've got to put those guys first because this is a, it was a systems command and an, an air material command wing. And so, if but if you want to go, get promoted to Colonel, I know a bunch of guys up at the Pentagon. I'll, I'll give you a great recommendation. You go up to Washington and get your 06. So I talked with my wife about it at the time and and she said, Look, you're going to go to, to the Pentagon, get promoted to colonel, then go to some other job in the world that you're probably not going to, because you're not going to be the golden boy with general officer sponsorship to be a wing commander someplace. You're going to go to some podog bomb dump, being an <laughs> yeah. at a bomb dump in Turkey. Is that, and my wife said, Look, we've got a job here on the beach. We go, we live in an area where people spend $10,000 a week. To come to the beach, uh, we've got a place on the water. What more do you want? Yeah. And so, so I, I, I retired
0: at 21 years as a lieutenant colonel. Okay, that's good. I mean, and and now, and, and I assume you're still. Are you still working? Or are you? Uh... No, I'm full, I'm fully retired now. Okay. Uh, I retired about. I retired in 2015, actually. Well, Steve, I thank you very much for this. This has been a. This has been wonderful. It's been a lot of fun. I've been, okay, well, I, I haven't left this hard on one of these uh, yeah the, you're, <laughs> you're the top man. <laughs> well, next time I'll give it
1: to you in a, in a German accent or a Russian What a China, I can give it to you in a Chinese accent. No, I, I, accent think of,
0: I think I want the Pakistani accent. That's
1: the Pakistani, of course. You want the Pakistani accent. They speak very fast, but I don't know what they're talking about.
0: All right, folks, we're going we're to say goodbye now. I'll call you in a minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs>